Well, hey, welcome to the Restoration Podcast. Uh, this is Dan Sams. I'm here with Kevin Haroff. And um, man, feeling pretty good today. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good too. Uh, a little bit early for me, but you got some coffee in me, so I think I'm ready to go. Nice, man. I, I sometimes forget that you're still living the college student life, so yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're in a whole different world, man. I, um, I'm actually realizing that the parenting life is like the college student life without the sleeping in. Um, I think I went to bed sometime around 1, 1.30 this morning. And, uh, but then I was up at six to let out the dog. I'm like, what's, this is not how it's supposed to be. Have you always been a night owl? Yeah, for a long time. Probably since college, actually. I I think better at night. In fact, Christy had, um, Christy had a meeting and she had some clients last night. And so she was, uh, she was out working most of the evening and, um, man, I was working on some website stuff. Then I was answering emails and man, I was getting all kinds of stuff done. I got what? Stuff that I've been trying to get done for weeks. I got done in an evening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it was great. I'm like, wow, I, I remembered how productive I can be when I have focused time. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was great. But and I'm learning to just drink coffee and, and be happy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, things are kind of cloudy in the morning sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if that's just... God just never meant for us to be awake early. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people get up early at like, at like four in the morning and they're raring to go already. Yeah. And it's just... It blows my mind. Yeah, I think there's something wrong with those people. Yeah, they, because I, that's terrible to say, but I, uh, man, I have friends that will stay up late and hang out with me, you know, and those are like such great people. And the guy who like got up early at four or five in the morning so he could work really hard and yeah. do extra work, he's the guy who's falling asleep and is no fun. <laughs> so I think I think I'd rather God made us as relational people. So I think I'd rather be a night owl. Yeah, and I'm probably I mean, just trying to spiritualize my <laughs> my laziness. Yeah. But they, I mean, there's stories of some people like uh, John Gruden, the the coach. He used to coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and when he was the coach of them, he was getting three hours of sleep a night. Man, that's <laughs> hardcore. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I just don't know. I've got I've got another friend that sleeps something like three or four hours a night. He's a lawyer, and I just don't understand how he does it. Yeah. You know, power to him, but. I just don't understand. I, I, actually, I guess historically, too, um, you know, sleeping at night has not always been the the constant. Like, there's been the ways where people sleep where they, they take naps throughout the day I've so heard they can, this. like, kind of, you know, work through the night, too. Yeah. Um, I forget exactly how it works, but, you know, the body only needs a certain amount of rest, and you, you can break it up so you don't have to sleep all at once. I've heard something about this, that the whole eight-hour night of sleep has has been a fairly recent, you know, as in like, you know, in the past however many hundred years that, that we just haven't always been eight hour sleepers as a, as a human race. It's interesting. So, but yeah, so I'm up late again <laughs> with kids and with just yeah work and whatever. I'm kind of liking it. So I'm usually up late watching movies and stuff. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the difference. College students. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's cool though, man. So things have been going well though. It's uh, I'm, I think I think part of my excitement and my my ability to wake up and still be happy, even after a, a late night at work, is that God's doing some cool stuff in our church. We're we're seeing people, um, people come that are exactly who we want, mm-hmm. and uh, that sounds bad, but as in you know I, I don't want a whole bunch of Christians to come, and we're seeing people who are trying to figure things out. They're not Christians. 
or maybe there yeah. are Christians that haven't, not yet. Um, we had somebody get saved just Monday. Um, she'd come a couple of weeks in our Sunday night group and um, just, man, just it just clicked for her. And so that kind of stuff is really cool. Um, we're blessed. I, um, I'm looking at what's happening and I'm, I'm seeing this, this little bit of momentum. You know, we've been, I feel like we've been sowing seed and watering and then all of a sudden something's happening. And uh, I know that there's lots of trials to come, lots of difficulties, but it's been kind of exciting to say, okay, all right, I see how this is coming together. Yeah. And I like it. Um, it's cool. In fact, I had, I, had a, I had a fun story that you can actually check me and tell me if this is just awful. <laughs> um, but we made a big deal out of, of trying to start a church that's, that really exists for people who don't feel like they fit in a church. And so we've been really careful to not do the things that attract Christians. So we don't have regular worship music like everybody thinks of worship music. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't do a regular sermon right now. It's not to say we won't do any of those things, but we're just kind of creating some break and saying, okay, who just wants to find out about Jesus? And, uh, and so it's interesting because now a lot of the stuff that I used to have to fight with Christians on in churches just doesn't come up. We're dealing with lost people or with people that are just yeah. on mission, you know? So I'm hanging out at, uh, at a local coffee house uh, last week with uh, my little brother from little bro- Big Brothers Big Sisters. And uh, he's a good kid. We're just hanging out. And this lady that I hadn't really known well, but she'd been at my old church, and she comes in to, uh, to tell me that the church that she left my old church for is folding. And uh, she was asking about what I was doing. And I'm not putting everything together to realize this is a person who has left another church mad, and so I need to be careful. And, uh, and so I'm talking to her about, you know, planning a church, and it's a church for people who just don't feel like they fit in a church. And I'm explaining, you know, we have discipleship groups in bars and houses and coffee houses and whatever. And uh, she's like, oh, oh, oh. And so she says, well, I'm just looking for a place to go. She's like, I'm not going to go back to, and she said the name of the church, because their music's just so loud there. And she goes off, and I'm thinking like, well, I, I still love that church, you know? Yeah. And so I, I turned to her and, and I just, I think it's been something that's been in me for a while and I've waited for the perfect opportunity to say it. Uh, Cause you need to get frustrated. You ever been like angry at a group of people, but no one of them do you get to talk to. And this woman is talking about all this stuff she hates about church. And I just looked at her and I just said, ma'am, I just don't care that much what Christians think. Yeah. I, uh, I want to reach lost people and I'll do I'll do whatever we need to do to reach them. And she looks me dead in the eye and says, I don't think I'm ever going to come to your church then. <laughs> and it was one of those great moments because I got to kind of, I, this sounds bad, I got to kind of stick it to her and just say, I just don't care what you think. I don't care whether the music's loud or whether it's quiet. I don't, I don't care whether you like hymns or whether you like rock and roll or what the decibel level is. I want to reach lost people. And the very fact that that is your reason for not going to a church, I like, I just, I was just pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was interesting. I'm not sure if it was the Holy spirit working through me because it did feel like one of those moments where like the words just rolled off and it was gentle. It wasn't mean, but then I, it felt so good. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I hope this is not my flesh. <laughs> so what exactly do you think? Like, is it, is it a, like a church problem? as far as, like, their image problem that's they're getting across to people, or is it an individual's 
problem that they're they're seeing churches in the wrong light. Uh, I I think it's a good question. I think it's both. I um, because there's a there's a certain reality in which people are going to think and do what they want to do, and I can't control them. Um, but there's another sense in in which, as a church, our job is to disciple people, and we're supposed to bring them along. And I think when we facilitate simply making people comfortable and doing what they want and and there's a certain sense in which I'll say man I, I want to reach people with the music that fits in with them and I want people to be able to um, enjoy their experience at church yeah. like I'm, I'm I don't I think we can go the other way with that so you're not, th- you're not opposed to like um, I guess the building blocks of like a, uh, a traditional church like that coming in like if, say somebody who's like strongly um, driven by like worship music, if somebody came into the church and they wanted to, you know, express their their faith that way, like you wouldn't be opposed to somebody. Oh no, I think I think the the question is, are we entertaining people or are we or are we worshiping God and reaching the lost? And so, if somebody comes in and that God has just that that's how He ministers to them and through them is through worship, and I think that's the case for a lot of people. Um, I think I'd be excited to to increase our. Um, our worship and we have worship music. We have somebody that plays guitar and sings and leads. Not every week, um, she's pregnant and so she's not always feeling up to it now. Yeah, but um, the uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for that. And I think it's a it's a difficult line to say. Okay, at what point are we doing this with excellence, and at what point are we entertaining people? And I I hope this sounds right, but I think when we we have to start looking at budgets and say, okay, how much money is how much does this look like the early church? And the early church gave money to the poor, um, and they took care of each other. And they were certainly we know that they, they were taking care of their ministry staff, but the large bulk of the budget was going to other things like that. And I, having been on the inside and seen God's still doing great work, and I don't hear this as one of those anti-traditional church models or anti-contemporary church models, but I I've watched as literally millions of dollars were spent to kind of keep that machine running and we're, we're paying paying for pastors and I think that's good and we're paying for music and I think that's good and, mm-hmm. and we're paying for a building and I think that's good but all of a sudden we look at it and we're like okay we're, we're giving such a small fraction to feed hungry people and such a small yeah. fraction when, when to your missions. sanctuary and worship area yeah. costs over a couple million dollars it's then you kind of yeah. start asking yeah. questions, I guess. Oh, and then we start looking at, okay, how like we don't want to care too much about numbers, but then I want to look about how many people actually put their trust in Christ. And and when it's 1% of our of our ministry, and then I think, okay, it's nothing that, that there's necessarily anything wrong with that model, and I, I think there's something very important about it. But I, I think that there are harvest fields that we could be reaching. Harvest, I'm using really Christian language. And sometimes I, I think that maybe... Maybe we need to disengage from that model at times in order to reach people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope I'm not talking around it. And I want to be really careful because I, I still love, like, I love going yeah. to a big church and worshiping and hearing a preacher. And I think God does great yeah, things. Yeah, so do I. It. And it, uh, it, I you know, there's a lot of great preachers out there that, you know, are oh, yeah, able man. to deliver their message on that platform. But um, unfortunately, I think for a lot of people, and, you know, uh, you know, I'm guilty as well, like, using church as kind of like a comfort zone. And, yeah. you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that once you become a Christian that it's going to be a comfortable thing. Yeah. And I think that's important as far as, you know, doing things that take you out of that comfort level um, and, you know, just 
ministering in, in areas that, you know, otherwise you, you, you wouldn't, but that you feel called to because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, man. Well, and I think you mentioned the Holy Spirit. That's really what's central. When I, well, obviously Jesus is central, but when we look at the New Testament and in Acts 1-8, Jesus says, hey, I'm, I want you to wait here and then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. And when we look at the theme in the book of Acts, the message is Jesus, but the power in the, in the disciples to spread that message is always the Holy Spirit. And the problem is that we sometimes quit recognizing the Holy Spirit, and we start doing things on our own. And, and it gets really tricky, because I think people just jump, they jump into these really polarizing camps on it, but... I think things should be done with excellence, right? Mm-hmm. But it's very easy to start doing something really, really well and not sit back and say, is this what God wants us to do? Did the Holy Spirit lead us to do that? Or and or do we have people here because the Holy Spirit is drawing them? Or did we just put on a really good show? And even with that, there's there's even maybe a place for that. But I think we we get into danger when we're not being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing and whether or not he's empowering us or are we just getting a lot done and feeling good about ourselves. Um, and that's, that's, that's been a huge thing for me is to, to be sensitive to, okay, what am I doing? What am I putting myself in a position to do that wouldn't happen if the Holy Spirit didn't show up? And, and if the Holy Spirit never showed up and nothing would change, then I'm doing something wrong. Um, on the other hand, if I'm doing things that are just so risky in my obedience that it only happens with the Holy Spirit, that's when we know, okay, something's happening. Because when it does happen, God gets all the glory. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it all comes back to the Holy Spirit. And I, can, I think you can be... Yeah, and also, know, I mean, also, like, yeah. the change in your heart, too, as far as, like, you know, doing things the Holy Spirit wants you to do, yet um, doing it with a humble heart. And, and, yeah. and not, uh, you know, boasting about it when you have done, you know, something... Yeah, uh, like I'm awesome. Yeah, Holy Spirit totally uses me all the time. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, that's um, if you're getting the attention, then then that's always a problem. Um, it's it it should, and it's a, it's a hard thing to deny because that's just a you know such a, a human element to to want to take ownership of of a good deed. Yeah, which you know it doesn't you know maybe from the outside perspective doesn't seem that bad. But, you know, that can eat away at your soul if you, if <laughs> yeah. you let it. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's what we do, man. When, when something happens in a ministry, we immediately want to raise up that leader and say, how did you do it? And what's exciting to me is how many times when God has really moved and a ministry leader will say, I, I really don't know. I, yeah. I heard a pastor of this church that's grown like crazy. And he, I heard him speaking at a conference and he's like, guys, I really, there's no, we didn't follow some formula. We didn't have some magic thing. God moved and that's it. And I thought it was the coolest thing because there was no, there was no program to like, here's how to make your church like mine. It was just like, guys, I got nothing. You just need the Holy Spirit. And it was, I thought that was really cool. It was really, really cool. Yeah. I, I think I'm having, I'm, I'm still coming through or going, maybe still coming into or in the middle of a process where God just reminding me that I'm just not that important, that that the Holy Spirit's the one, and <laughs> the more I pray, the more He does stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How powerful prayer is. Yeah. Like, I'll have moments where um, I'll be in prayer and be doing really good, and 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 think, and then I start thinking I'm the one doing really good, and so I stop. <laughs> yeah. I stop the prayer, 
And then all of a sudden, I'm in a two-week depression <laughs> mode. And yeah. I'm like, how did I get here? And then yeah. I pray again. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. That's how I got in the good space to begin with. Yeah. I I don't know what it is that we... It's like it's like we're... When a car is, uh, is out of alignment and it always wants to pull left. And you just... I, that's how I feel like I have to be consistently seeking after God. And it's not like I've fallen in a ditch and I'm, I'm a wreck. It's more of like, man, I feel like things are not going well and I don't feel like God is moving. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's because I haven't talked to him in a week and a half, you yeah. know? Uh, it's, it's just a really interesting thing. But. Yeah, I mean, I think it's when, like, it's the mindset of, like, wanting to become Christ-like yet knowing that's impossible instead of wanting to become Christ. Like, yeah, that's the the different kind of mindset as far as like how the ego wants to take yeah. it. That's an interesting word, man. Yeah, one and that on the one there has to be dependent on the dependence on the spirit and yeah. yeah, you have to lose yourself. It's this this uh, loss of identity that's so important too. Yeah, you know. Well, that's it's that's another really intriguing thing is we're talking about people coming to Christ and we've had. We've had five or six people in the last six months or so that have come to Christ. And, um, and I always, I try to be really careful not to just get excited when somebody's like, I'm going to pray right now. Because I know that you can say words and it's not necessarily something that's happening in your heart. Mm-hmm. But what's really intriguing to me is the people that we're, we're seeing things happen and there's been spiritual fruit. And it's like, okay, this, this person really had, they really trusted Jesus. Um, the crisis they had before they, before they got saved was related to control. And it was, their language was things like, I, I'm so used to being in control of my life. It's a scary thing to try to, to try to think of handing it over to God. And the most profound changes I've seen in people, that was the conversation is they understood that I'm giving up myself here for, for the sake of Christ and that's the best thing I can do, and, you know, that whole lose your life and you gain it. But they understood that crisis, and I, I think that's a powerful thing. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I think, like, people um, that are able to, to run their lives into a ditch because of the fact that they think they're in control, like, that's such a blessing that, that God yeah. gives them. That's God's grace right there yeah. as far as that. And um, it's, you know, you really do see as far as, you know, Jesus's um, analogy of, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than, you know, like people who are given everything and, and they still see that they're, they're, they they think they're in control of their lives, that it's, you know, how hard it is for them to, to, to reach that state of mind. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're seeing it. I think ministry in, in Amherst, Ohio, where we are, um, upper middle class, you know, and, I have a lot of those conversations. I shouldn't say. I should say our team has a lot of those conversations where people are like, "Why? Why do I even need God?" Yeah. I have that conversation a lot with people, and where where I'm trying to explain the gospel, and they're like, "What do I need to get saved from? I'm cool. Like my life is good. I'm a pretty good person." And uh, oh, it's it's really interesting. Um, I think that's where that's part of why we're studying Romans right now in the first three chapters of Romans, where Paul's like, "Okay." You suck, and you suck, and you suck. And, and it's uh, it's super depressing, that first three chapters. Fortunately, it gets way better D- after. I mean, it, in, like, Acts, or, you know, like, with Paul's ministry, is there a lot of ministering to people that just 
don't realize like how much they need the Holy Spirit. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Because you know, yeah. Jesus' ministry, he's, he's ministering to, to broken people, people that yeah. like are susceptible. Like they're able to to get it because they're at that moment where they're like, okay, I'm not in control of this thing. Like, yeah. I need to turn it over because I'm doing a pretty terrible job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think brokenness looks different. I know, like we see Paul, he writes two letters to the church at Corinth, which was, uh, I we think of Corinth like we maybe think of Las Vegas and New York City put together. It was a center of commerce and it was a center of partying and hedonism, and so they were wealthy, but they were still broken in a different kind of way. And and Paul ministers to them. Um, something happens powerfully there, but I think. Yeah, I, I mean, think, I guess there's yeah. that too. I guess there's the element of like, you know, I mean, because it is true, everybody is broken in a sense. So like, there is a way to minister to those people. It's just yeah. you know, you have to be the right person to minister to those people, yeah. and and God's gonna send the right people to do that. Well, and then and then on top of it, His Holy Spirit's got to be doing that work. That there's something that happens when the Holy Spirit's convicting a person, and it it's like He just puts you know if you've ever seen somebody put a finger on another person's chest and they just gently push and it's really uncomfortable if anybody ever does that i i think that's the kind of thing the holy spirit does is he, he kind of points to that area of brokenness and he's like this is where you need me and the holy spirit just kind of gently pushes and he's not he's not causing pain he's not causing harm but he's gently bringing attention to here's where you need me mm-hmm. and i think that can happen with uh with the wealthiest of people with people who have their life seemingly together i think that can happen to broken people and i think i think the prod that resists that can happen in all all walks of life yeah but it's a it's a pretty crazy thing it all and, comes back yeah to and that. it happens to save people too as far yeah. as like, <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't just which, ruin your life yeah yeah no i mean but as far as like just you know feeling that that touch of christ like showing you where you where you need help his help <laughs> like, yeah and you know, just because you've gone through this process of coming to know him doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory from here on out. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. continually going to be working on your heart. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, that's the next part of Romans. i got to be careful because I, 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 I tend to get all excited about whatever we're studying, and that's, that's the next part of Romans. We get into that whole sanctification thing where God is just working in you to make you yeah. who he wants you to be. I mean, the things that, like, pump me up the most and, like, make me go, like, like, like have those awe moments, like the actual like awesomeness is like living those contradictions, things that like don't make sense. Like it's one way and then it's the opposite, but like doing it like that. And then suddenly it's true. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a good example right now. Um, Man, I I mean, as far as like, uh, you know, God changing your heart, but yeah, like you have to put in work too. Yeah, that there's, I I wish there was some human language to fully explain it. But what's happening is something is going on at the spiritual level, as well as in your mind and your body, and where where you're surrendering. And I don't think that outside of that experience that there's any way to fully explain what's happening there. Yeah. But there is something in which there's like this act of surrender of the will of saying, okay, I'm going to obey you, God, even though I, 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 I just can't do this. But you, somehow you step in obedience to do the impossible and the Holy Spirit quickens you to do it. And yeah. I, I think that's the, the best thing I can explain is it's like you're stepping into 
stepping not off a cliff, but you're stepping into this thing where you shouldn't have a foothold. And in that obedience, God does something and he Mm -hmm. holds you up and it's, it's powerful. Yeah. And it's like in those moments of brokenness too, when you like, when you think there's no way over some certain (laughs) obstacle and you, you lift it up in prayer and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you have certain dreams that, you know, seem like God's telling you a certain message or something. And then the next day, like, you feel calmed and yeah. and it's it's crazy how yeah, it's, what's going on in prayer that yeah and the bible talks about peace that transcends understanding i think they say passes in some translations but it's god's doing something that's just beyond this world to bring you to peace or to bring you through it's wildness man i, I, I struggle because um for a long time uh, I was, uh, and I still am, was really into apologetics where you, you know, give an, an answer for the faith and you're explaining stuff and you're rational and logical. Mm-hmm. Where is and, that, like, in the Bible? Um, I think second, oh, I should remember, it was bad, but I think it's second Peter where he says to always be ready to give an answer to the hope. Okay, the is hope it, like, you. a very big portion or is it just, like, one, like... Well, it depends on how you look at it because... That's mentioned. There's a quote where we get it's that mentioned. word apologetics. But then there's examples in the Bible too. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of places where, where like the Apostle Paul um, in the book of Acts when he's at Mars Hill and he, he stands up and he gives this logical explanation to the people there. And I think when we think of apologetics, we think of debating rational or, debating yeah. where it's sometimes it's, it's finding a commonality and saying, okay, you believe this is true and I believe this is true. Let me let me build off of that to help you understand Christ, because I think that's another form of it. But um, all that said, I I think I used to really struggle, and I think this is a good this is a good thing. But I had I had had this focus of I want to make sure that I'm rationally explaining Christianity, so that nobody can look at it and say, well, it's it's just not rational, and I'm, I'm not going to believe because of that. And did lots of study, and I think have lots of great stuff. I've been able to sit down with some really smart people and just point out some arguments that aren't mine that are somebody else's that that I think show good rational belief in, in Christ and it feels good to be able to do that. It helps my faith and helps other people's faith. Highly recommend it. But I think I'd gotten too much into a mindset of saying, well, I can I can just prove all this rationally. Uh, and there's a lot that can be proven rationally. Um, but I think God brought me to a realization that there are aspects of who he is that simply are mysterious. Yeah. And the fact that they can't be proven doesn't mean they're not true, and they can't be proven not true either. Uh, but that God is God does things at the spiritual level that simply can't be fully expressed here in, in language. And so some of the stuff like what we're talking about of, of the role of me obeying God, but the Holy Spirit empowering me to do that. There's no way to fully explain that to a person who, who doesn't know God. And, uh, and I think there's other things about who God is and, and how he works that you have to just say, you know what, I, I can't prove this. God has to reveal it to you. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, as far as like, when I consider myself an atheist and like, I was in that mindset of always wanting to get in arguments and debates and like, I thought that was fun and yeah. <laughs> like, but there's, there's no way like looking back that anything anybody could have said to me would have changed my heart. Like, I had to have an actual experiential, like, moment in my life to understand that, okay, there's things that, like, I don't get and I don't understand, and I just have to have faith. Yeah. And 
it's awesome how God speaks to people through that. It's it's crazy cool because there's something that's spiritually there's something that's happening at the spiritual level where God is saying, "Here's who I am," and I can't. You're I, nobody can argue that it's it's God is doing something there where it's not just a feeling. It's, he's revealing Himself at the spiritual level, and it's powerful. I um I think of uh, Dr. Habermas is one of my professors. He's one of my heroes in apologetics. He's just one of those cool guys, you know, beard and the classic professor look, but super cool guy. And he does a lot of debating, and, and he's he's debated atheists. He's, he wins. You know, he's a cool guy. Yeah. And he has this whole argument for the resurrection of Christ, and it's sound. It's it's really solid stuff. He's well sought after guy. But he tells he was telling us one time, he's like, you know, I don't I don't really do debates that much anymore. I mean he still does because he doesn't want to avoid it, but he says People don't get saved in debates. He says, I have had, I've, he has like these five points that he covers, and he's like, I've gotten atheists to concede all five points and essentially acknowledge everything about the resurrection because the evidence laid before him. And he yeah. said, and I'll, I'll say, all right, man, do you want to you trust Jesus right now? He's, he says, man, they never do. He's like, not that there's not value in me explaining it. Yeah, I know it and, gives, and there's also the but, point, too, like, who are you glorifying by yeah, yeah. by getting an intellectual debate with an atheist? Yeah, it's when it comes down to it, like it seems like you're trying. It's it's an individual thing. You're trying to outsmart yeah. somebody. Well, and, and in debates, it's not the person who's right that wins. It's the person who's the best debater. Yeah, and that that gets frustrating. Um, I, there's been plenty of times where the guy I wanted to win a debate won, but I'm like, I don't really like how you got there. <laughs> um, yeah, and. Yeah, I, I think that it comes back to it's all about God revealing himself. And I do think that there's value in a, in a gentle conversation where I help people get past hurdles to faith. That there's times where I'm talking to somebody and they're like, you know, I just really have trouble with this. And to be able to explain that and say, oh, well, let me explain, you know. Uh, I think that's one thing, and that's different than a debate. But you're right, man, nobody ever gets won over in debate. In fact, if anything, just more walls are built. Yeah. That's um, uh, no good, but... Yeah, that's cool. I was watching um, uh, a stand-up comic, uh, Bill Burr, his his newest stand-up comedy routine, and he was he had a, a segment that was kind of talking about, um, you know, religion and stuff, and his and his problem with it. And you know, I find myself like th- this guy's so good at stand-up comedy that you know I was laughing though, even though I was disagreeing with what yeah. he was saying. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> um, and it just you know it makes me think like, is there anything that like. I don't know, can offend you that, like, somebody says? Or, like, can you, I guess, you know, see where they're coming from or see, like, almost, like, almost feel, like, empathy for them that they're, they're, they're missing a certain understanding of their life um, as far as, like, I don't know, like, what I'm trying to ask. But, I, I mean, I guess I see a lot of Christians get offended um, by certain things people say, and I feel like that's the wrong... Um, avenue to go yeah yeah because it doesn't really do anybody good for me to say i'm offended and i'm not going to talk to you anymore or i'm offended and i'm not going to watch that show anymore or whatever um but i'm like who who cares is that you know i'm supposed to love people anyway um yeah i uh i i would say that you you get a point that we uh when we just get upset about offended, I think there's a certain amount of selfishness. Um, and I think we've misunderstood the word offense. When, like in scripture, when it talks about offense, 
and the whole not causing another brother to stumble. It's, it's referencing making somebody mess up or putting them in a position of temptation. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly people I could talk to that, that in talking to them, I'm going to be tempted. You know, maybe they're going to entice me to do something I shouldn't do. But in a debate, when somebody's, somebody can make fun of me, can make fun of Christianity, that's not an offense in that biblical sense. So I need to just take the hit in my pride and say, okay, so maybe that was me, but yeah. I'm supposed to love this person. But I mean, yeah. also, I think there's the point too, like, if you're, I don't know, truly listening with an open heart, like, and can kind of see past what they're saying and like past some of the offensiveness and like actually listen to them, like, they can maybe be making a point. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's coming out of hurt. Nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing like that is just this random attempt to offend. That there, there's some kind of hurt there, and if you can minister to that hurt, it's huge. Well, this is what we we used to talk about. I always have an, a story, so apologize if I tell too many stories here. But um, when we do the Alpha Course, which is a great, I highly recommend the Alpha Course. Uh, but when we do the Alpha Course and often that whole problem of evil comes up that, you know, if God is good and he's all powerful, why does he allow bad things to happen? And people just get angry and they want to debate over that, you know, an atheist that shows up there or an agnostic and they want to debate that. And one of the things they taught us in the alpha course training was to not try to debate there because even if you want it, you're, you're ruining. Um, instead, the best thing to do is say, man, it's, it sounds like, there's some hurt associated with that. Because yeah. there's always, it's somebody and, who died or somebody who got hurt. Yeah. And to be able to just say, man, when did you start feeling this? And then when they tell you, say, man, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really sorry. Uh, and minister to that because that's, the hurt is actually in their emotions, not not so much in their mind. Yeah, and, and a lot of times it's a misconception of who God is. Yeah. Like, and that's what's driving the hurt. And it's just, yeah. you know, it. I guess it's somehow figuring out how to... to demonstrate to them or to you know speak to them how you know that they're they're getting that concept wrong like you know sometimes a lot of things they're saying are right if that's their conception of god that's the truth yeah. then <laughs> yeah like i heard this this one guy say something like um why do i need a god judging me i already do a really good job of that <laughs> yeah I'm like well you got a point yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> good thing he has grace yeah um yeah i yeah and then i'll oh i I get excited about this kind of stuff because I think that even a person's misconception about God can be used as an opportunity to reveal who God is. And and it's a powerful thing to be able to stand there and say, yeah, that's that's not God. Like, he doesn't do that. Yeah. So whoever did, told you that lied. And a lot of times there's freedom in that. Sometimes they don't believe you right away, but... Yeah, I think there's opportunity for the gospel in, in those misconceptions about God. Mm-hmm. To be able to say but then there's those news. contradictions, too, that are just so hard to explain. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, because, like, well, he does judge, but, like... <laughs> yeah, but, but not in that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, like, as far as trying to explain, like, you know, what Christ did and, like, the contradictions in that, but yet, like, man, it's so much of it is experiencing it. And, like, and I'm, you know the more I experience, the more I've come to believe that, like, it's whatever Christ wants you to believe. Like, that's that's when it's going to happen. So... Yeah. But, I mean, I, also there's so much of the Bible that's devoted to discipleship and the importance of that. So... Yeah. It's, again, there's the, the contradiction of things 
working together. Oh, that <laughs> I like to say that there's there's like a harmony that's happening when when we see we see God talk about His wrath and His love, and and at first those seems like they're they're just dichotomies that they just don't fit together. But when you understand how His grace comes in there, and you say, okay, like you were talking about, there's a way things kind of shake together. Mm-hmm. And you you almost have to kind of experience to see how it all all comes together. Yeah. What's that word that's used like medically for like how your body works? Like it's equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's kind of what's going on there. Yeah. Like or homeostasis. It's homeostasis. Trying, it's, yeah, look yeah. at that. It's, <laughs> it's a good word. Trying to find that like that perfect like middle ground that yeah, where, where we're 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 paying attention to all aspects of of God's character and and the the truth is we. We like to pick our favorite things and do that, and so I think it. I think that's why somebody who believes the Bible, trusts in God, they get off on a tangent of the wrath side of God. It's a biblical concept that God hates evil, and I always tell people that it's a good thing He does because otherwise there would be no justice for all the evil things that have happened. But some people that'll get so excited about God's wrath, almost in this morbid sense. And they forget to ever talk about his love and his grace. That re- that really brings his wrath around, and uh, and then you have other people that want to talk so much about love and mercy that they forget that like, hey, you can't really have grace unless you understand justice. That we owed God a debt, and we can understand his love more when we understand that we owed a debt that he paid for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's just very interesting how we. I think part of the problem of you were talking about equilibrium being off is that in certain church circles or even as individuals, we pick kind of this favorite thing about God and we make that yeah. as if it's the only thing. And then even as like individuals too, I think like there's, you, you have to take it individually and you can't judge yourself based on what others are doing as far as like, you know, God speaking to you personally and, you know, some people are called to, to do more service type work and, you know, I know early on as a Christian, I saw that, I'm like, I, I'm not doing enough and, you know, at one point God was like, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. And, you know, I think if I had been doing more stuff back then, it would have become one of those things where I'm shining the light on myself. Like, look what I'm doing. I'm yeah. helping out at, like, uh, soup kitchens or, or yeah. whatever the, the, the event was. But, like, now um, I've, you know, I, I'm kind of doing more, like, the, the prayer thing and praying for other people. And, um, and that's my service. And God's trying to, like, push me out more and... So yeah, it's just cool as far as like really listening to God and 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 not looking around comparing yourself to others yeah. and and just doing what what God wants you to do. Yeah, it's it's a biblical concept, man. Yeah, that's cool. So you're feeling like prayer is something that God's put on your heart more and more. Oh yeah, definitely. That's I, cool. I mean, like, well, <laughs> prayer is just so important as far as figuring out, you know how God's talking to you and, and also just building that relationship with God too. And, and also like how God knows, I don't know, my, my prayer life's so, so crazy. Like sometimes like I'll just be so flustered that I'm not really even saying words to God, but like, I know that he knows like where my heart is and what he, what I'm trying to convey. Like he already knows that and he'll, yeah. he'll answer that even though I'm not like actually saying real things. Yeah. <laughs> that too is a biblical concept. I think that, that whole, Holy Spirit and and how he and Christ are are interceding for us and even talks about him using is it what's the the scripture language is groanings that cannot be uttered are mm-hmm. are his 
So even he is communicating to the father with words that will, that just aren't even words. That yeah. that's something more than that. Something deeper than that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's because that. I mean, that's a crazy concept too of like what words even are. Like they're just expressions of something that's. It's like uh, like the iceberg like illustration that's used for a lot of things. Like it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> there's so much beneath what there's, is being said. There's deep meaning connected to those syllables. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I uh, I think it's interesting you're talking about prayer because I'm I think I struggle. I have in my Christian life struggled with um, having a cognitive understanding that prayer is important, but then. Being one of those, I, like I'm just, I'm an active person. I like to do things and I like to plan things and um, I like to lead things. And there is a certain sense in which I think as my activity is surrendered to God, that he's doing stuff through that and that's really great and I'm obeying. But to quiet myself and pray has been one of those things that I've actually had to discipline myself to do. And I love it when I do it, um, but I, I've not necessarily valued prayer in my heart as much as I should have. And when I do, powerful things happen. Yeah. When I don't, things are weaker. And for some reason, it... I, it doesn't click. Like, that's yeah. like what I was saying earlier, as far as, like, after a while, like, when you do pray for a while and things just seem to be going fine, like, you forget that, like, prayer is a <laughs> big reason why that's going on. <laughs> yeah. And then you yeah. just neglect it. And, you know, things start falling apart. Yeah. Well, that... We were earlier talking about um, about suffering and God drawing people to himself and that we have to go through this crisis where we realize we need him. And there's that famous C.S. Lewis quote, and I'll probably butcher it because he's so poetic, but uh, he says that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And it's something like he whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts at us in our pain. And the whole illustration is that we, we keep going astray. We keep thinking that mm-hmm. everything, when, when we're comfortable... We act like we don't need God, but then as soon as we're hurting, we're crying out for his help. And that's not to say that God is causing our pain, but that it's almost like he just kind of gives us what we're, you know, he's like, all right, if you're going to walk over there, then know it's going to hurt, and I'll be right here when you're ready to come back. Yeah. And um, then, I don't know, this is just like a concept that just like came to my head, like, do you want to pray for pain then? Like, that, because... That, because that's when you, if you're seeking God most at that time, and that's when you feel like you're at unity with God, like, do you, is that something you should be praying I'm, for? I'm hesitant to say that, but I've asked the same question. I, well, I, I've even brought that around, and, and as we talk about, like, the church. Like, right now, the church is spreading like crazy in Vietnam and China and places like Saudi Arabia, where we're being persecuted the most. So there are Christians that are being tortured for their faith, and, and the gospel keeps spreading. So then I've, I've asked, like, should we pray for persecution? Because, man, when we're persecuted, we seem to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and I think the same kind of thing. When I'm suffering, I seek after God more. Um, I, I don't know that I want to pray for it, but I think that, um, I think that maybe it's one of the ways that we, we should count it all joy when we endure trials, that whole biblical concept. Um, I'm not sure I want to pray for it. Sometimes I want to pray for other people to suffer, but I don't know if that's right either. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that is a weird thing because, like, you know, knowing, like, personally, that's how I came to Christ is through, yeah. you know, pain and then realizing how much I need him and, like, you know, praying that to other people, like, how that looks. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do because... Yeah, I'll confess, I've, I've prayed it sometimes for, for friends of mine that are 
that don't know God and that are, they're on a path to destruction. Yeah. And, and I've prayed, God, God, make it hurt so that they know they need you. And not because I want them to suffer, but because they're, they're essentially causing damage and they can't feel it yet. And, you know, it's like having a numb hand and cutting it and not realizing. And, and so I've prayed, like, God, let them feel what's happening so that they... And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I want to pray for it in myself, but that <laughs> might just be selfishness. Um, yeah, it might be just not wanting to, to go yeah. through that because it's <clears throat> uncomfortable, but... Yeah. Well, I think there's also a place for enjoying times of rest in, in Christ because I think that's still possible. I think that um, he tells us to delight in him. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I know, I was telling you earlier, my family and I have been through some painful stuff these last few years. 2014 was a year of healing. And 2015, and we're, we're only 21 days into it or so, but 2015 has been good. God is doing good things. Lots of stress is relieved. And right now I'm in a place where I'm really just delighting in God in it. I haven't gotten to where I'm like, oh, not paying attention to him. Um, and I think there's a place for that too. But, uh, but I just, I think if I, if I was always just comfortable, I'd, I don't think I'd fall off the deep end hopefully and, and <laughs> leave my faith or anything like that. But I just wouldn't be as intensely connected to him. Yeah. And, um, so I think it seems like he just takes us through these rhythms of, he allows us to experience some suffering and we draw closer to him and then he brings us into a time of, of peace and then, you know, I think that's part of spiritual growth too. It's like muscles need exercise and rest. and Yeah, and then I just, I mean, thought of another, you know, contradiction within, you know, the faith that, you know, in scriptures it's, it's talking about uh, things of this world being rubbish and like the, the that word used, like originally, I think, can be traced back to like saying poop, like things of this world. Yeah, like poop. Essentially, the, the Greek word is skubalon, which is, well, it it means shit. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's just what it means. <laughs> it's the lowest word for poop. Like he actually like there's no no word around it. Yeah. Like he's but he's like, using profanity. So that like but like you don't walk around with this mindset like oh everything's shit like it sucks blah blah, blah. when you're a Christian like. He wants you to also enjoy things too. <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah. he gives you a joyful heart. So, you know, how that happens is just mind blowing. Yeah, it is. I haven't figured out how that goes together. I've definitely been through times where I was hurting, but I felt connected to God, and I had joy. Maybe not happiness, but joy. And sometimes there was even happiness in the midst of trial because I was seeing God's hand. Um, but I also know that there's that place for grief in it, and I, I'm not quite sure how it plays out practically. Um, and I read about, is it Viktor Frankl, who was, I think he was a psychologist or a philosopher or something that was, um, he was in a concentration camp, and he was, he was addressing the topic of joy in a concentration camp, in a Nazi concentration camp. Mm -hmm. And it, it was very interesting to, to hear him talk about, like, we, we were able to experience some joy because of the mindsets we had. And it was really, I'd, I'd love to go back and read that, but there's, man, there, there's, there's something there that I think I still need to shake down. Yeah. Like maybe I, I think I had an, an, an idea of, and then I hurt more than I'd ever hurt before, and then I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> don't know how. I'm always blown away like with you know Holocaust stories about yeah. how important 
um, or how big of a role humor played. It, yeah. Like, to get through that. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Oh, man. Yeah. That, I, there's something that's always intrigued me about those stories and, and the forgiveness stories that are usually attached to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just powerful. The, uh, I just saw um, Unbroken a couple of weeks ago, and it was just a cool story. The, the forgiveness story there is powerful. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting, it was a good movie, I think. It wasn't one of those like, oh my goodness, this is the best movie ever, but, man, that was one of those stories that you, you And safe story. Like, it almost seems like yeah. fiction, <laughs> as far as yeah. all the stuff that happened in that guy's life. It, did. it was, I was telling somebody that you essentially could make an epic movie, probably four of them, about various stages, like his whole Olympic experience, yeah. his, um, his uh, plane crash in the ocean experience, his um, POW camp experience, and then they didn't even have time really to fully tell his whole forgiveness story of how he's... Yeah. They, they um, just skimmed on that. Yeah. That, that's the biggest story. That, right that was the coolest thing <laughs> yeah. to me is to... Um, I don't want to ruin the story, but but just a powerful and even kind of the I mean it was almost like a literary theme the whole you know Japanese Olympics thing and how all that weaved into his forgiveness story and I don't want to go into all of it because I don't want to ruin the story but it's just powerful man yeah so powerful um, well that's actually with that in mind we were um, this past Sunday night I think I can tell this because we're gonna we'll we'll make it a little preview because eventually we're gonna have him on the on the on the podcast but we're having a discussion about forgiveness and and one of the new people there were saying that like i just have a hard time like she's like i'm i'm i love this whole idea of god's grace but i'm just not comfortable yet with the idea that god can forgive a pedophile or a murderer or a rapist and that's just hard to think of and and I tried to talk a little bit about the whole idea that like, Hey, it doesn't mean that he's just winking at sin. Like there's still justice like that. That evil is going to be judged, whether it's judged on the cross or in hell, like one way or the other justice will be served for that. But yeah, it, it, that, that guy could get off. <laughs> like yeah. he could, that God could, God can forgive him and he can go to heaven. And um, so you could tell there's this kind of this, not tension in the angry sense, but uh, that, Hey, this is something she was working through. And then, Bob chimes in, and Bob, Bob's, I don't want to tell too much of his story, but Bob was, uh, his parents were shot by his neighbor, and then the guy comes in the house and shoots him three times, and Bob eventually forgave the murderer, and the murderer put his trust in Christ before he died, awesome. and, uh, and so to hear Bob right there talking about it, and he, Bob is not, Bob's a comedian, he doesn't ever cry, but Bob starts tearing up, and he's like, He's like, my parents got to welcome their murderer into heaven with them. And he says, and I know they rejoiced. And he says, man, that, that is the power of the gospel. Yeah. And well, those kind of things, it's like, yeah, God gets glory, and it's mm-hmm. cool. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, because that's what God wants is that unity of, of yeah. everything to restore all. And yeah. when stuff like that happens and we get to see glimpses of that, it's... Yeah. Miraculous, it, and it really there's no, it's nothing short of miraculous, and that's 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 the only way the world can be put right. That um, because if we keep thinking in eye for an eye language, we we just one person takes from another, and that person takes from yeah. the other, 
and that there's just this onward downward spiral at some point it has to be broken and somebody has to take the hit and say I I'm going to forgive and that's what Jesus has done ultimately and it empowers us to do it and yeah and man I, it's amazing you know I think the the problem with that is is not fully understanding your own sin nature and um I was actually I, I just finished listening to a serial podcast which is about a murder that took place in 1999 um, uh, that a high school kid did. Um, that, well, the whole thing is about uh, memory and whether or not he did it or not um, and just talking to him. And just a lot of interviews of you know, his family and people that knew him kept saying, like, as far, like, he just seemed like a really good kid. Like, how could he do a thing like that? And you always hear that in murder cases. Like, you know, the, the person I knew never could have done something like that. Yeah. But the thing is, like, we we're, all all, we're all capable of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, we, we have to recognize that given the right circumstances, we will all do about the worst things ever. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm already thinking of things that I shouldn't record on a podcast, but, <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've been angry enough that I can remember thinking, man, oh, that awful thing that person did. And if I could get away with it, would I, would I, would I end that person's life? And I fear thinking that like, Man, I might have done it if if God if God hadn't said, "Yeah, that's stupid. You'd never get away with it, and it's sin," <laughs> you yeah. know. But um, but man, it's again, it's how powerful forgiveness is. I mean, that's and all this really we're talking about kind of restoration as it relates to forgiveness. That's that's ultimately what we're trying to get at as a church is that Jesus wants to put things right, and it's through His gospel of forgiveness that He does it, and um, and it's only possible for us to be a part of it through his power and um we've got to experience forgiveness from him before we can really give it to anybody else fully in that miraculous way it's one thing to say sorry you stepped on my toe it's another thing to say i forgive you for murdering my family yeah <laughs> um, <It's... laughs> that that's something that's impossible that's actually a blog post i put up today that you know jesus doesn't just want us to do things that are hard he's called us to do the impossible because in the impossible is when we need him and yeah, I could talk for a really Showing time. his glory through that. Yeah, so it all comes back to him getting the glory, not us. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful stuff, man. This is, uh, yeah, God's doing some cool things. I'm, I'm excited to be here to watch it. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Well, we probably ought to, ought to wrap up. We've, we've, we've had a nice long podcast. I enjoy it, man. I enjoy talking. How long did you go today? Um, actually, don't know. We're coming up on a <laughs> solid hour. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, time flies. I could t- I could talk for a really long time. Yeah, I think me too. we could just shoot the breeze. And uh, anyway, thank you guys for being with us, and uh, really good to have you. Keep checking out the podcast. Give us some nice uh, positive remarks on iTunes, and then people will yeah. five stars. Know, five stars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A little side note: Have you ever like given somebody four stars for something because it was really good, but you just but, didn't want yeah. to use the you, superlative? Ev- everybody's a tough critic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm one of those guys. I'm like, I feel like if it's good, you get four. If something absolutely exceeds expectations, it's five. It's five, which is rare. I yeah, mean, I feel like I feel like five should be rare. So I um, I buy this pomade right on Etsy. Mm-hmm. It's like the stuff I use in my hair, and I like to buy craft stuff, artisan stuff, and I like it. And I thought it was very good. This particular can of it that I got, good, not super awesome, but good. Gave her four stars, and <laughs> so she responds. She's like. Um, you said everything about it was good. Why, why didn't you give me five stars? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to give you three now for asking me to yeah. give you five. Because it's my moral code. Like, <laughs> that's right. The, five stars uh, is reserved for, like, the godfather. <laughs> that's right. That's, yeah. Well, and then, um, oh, 
so we're past the actual podcast, so I'll tell another funny story. My, um, my wife and I were engaged. We took this, uh, uh, we took this class uh, that was based on this book called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Good book. Um, I recommend anything like that before a marriage. I actually, as a pastor, I use uh, the Prepare and Rich assessment, and there's a whole process that I walk through with people. But we did that. We were also doing the Saving Marriage Before It Starts. Well, in the back of the book, there's this quiz that you're supposed to both take that kind of helps you understand that, like, hey, you need to understand this person is flawed. You're going to love them anyway. and helps people understand. Because when you're in love, you might not see the problems in a person, and you need to know they're there and love them anyway, right? Yeah. So I totally see what's going on. Like I'm like, this this assessment is clearly designed to show me how I'm just blind in love. So I, am, I just intentionally, you know, if it was a one to seven and seven being high, one being mm-hmm. low, I'd only mark a five, you know, because I knew what it was trying to get at and I <laughs> saw through the test, right? I should have just answered fully honestly anyway but so essentially I'm taking this quiz on how awesome my wife is this or I remember my fiance at the time and I'm and instead of marking her seven I'm marking a five right so I'm seeing through the test and I'm marking everything low she is not doing that so we yeah. get done and it's asking everything from like spirituality to you know integrity like all these kind of things we get done we put them up she's like <laughs> what do you think of me? And like her version of it, I was just the holiest guy ever. And, and, and on earth, so, and I was, so I try to explain. I'm like, honey, it's it's. I was, I was the test was just trying to fool me, and, and the, she was having none of it. And um, <laughs> I think that was the first like real fight we'd had, but it wasn't like full yeah. on. Then I think later that day we played Monopoly, or maybe it was a couple of days later, and that was the first bad fight we have monopoly will always result in fight yeah well, so yeah it was, it was hilarious <laughs> sounds like you gotta choose your battles better <laughs> yeah well it was one of those that was just stupid that was that was a rookie mistake right yeah. there i was just <laughs> being an idiot and and also like i i was caring more about not being tricked by some test mm-hmm. than i was about answering it honestly and letting yeah. my wife know how much i loved her <laughs> yeah it was a dumb move on my part <laughs> uh. oh it was hilarious though so, yeah, answer tests honestly, kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, good stuff. I'll, um, <laughs> I'll turn this off now that they've heard a really fun story. <laughs> all right, we'll see you next, next week. See you next week.